Hello, and welcome to Got Punctum. I am Jay Sibylla Smith. I collaborate with artists and photographers and related institutions as a curator, educator, and consultant. My mission is to illuminate, elevate, and amplify the work of contemporary photographers. I created this podcast to contribute to the global visual culture conversation. Thank you for joining us. Please connect with me on other social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, and even LinkedIn at J Sibylla. Visit my website, jsibillasmith.com, for an outline of the services I offer. I use all these platforms to share resources. Today, I am excited to have and share an in-person conversation with Guggenheim Fellow Kristen Joy Emac. We identify the multiple ingredients of her particular alchemy in creating her intimate portraiture. We discuss her soon-to-be-released book on her series, Cousins. We are sometimes accompanied by my studio neighbor's soundtrack. We had a visitation of a soaring hawk, and we concur on some shared experiences as artist mothers. We are glad you're here. Let's begin. I am so excited to welcome you, Kristen. And you're part of our artist talk series, and it's really about unpacking your creative process, helping us understand how you got where you are now, and really unpacking what is always a combination of challenges wonderful happenstances, and flipping hard work. So I just want to open it all up and um, preface it to say that we circled each other because we are in the same hood. Um, We both raised our kids in Cambridge through the public school system, and you are more affiliated with the system. But my work actually took me to the point sometimes where people thought I worked in the school system. Um, So we had that in common, but it was so serendipitous how we ultimately met and on how many wavelengths we connected. So you very graciously arrived at my studio. We'd had many conversations before, whether virtual or uh, kind of circling and knowing we needed to know each other and that we had lots in common, but you showed up in COVID to my studio with a book by Vivian Coulard because you thought I'd like it. And I'm like, wait, you know, Vivian. And you're like, wait, you know, Vivian. And we both had that connection, which I thought was just perfect for solidifying what we had felt and had never really activated. And so now it's so lovely to concretize that in a in a real way. And I know that over this last summer, we were at an exhibition, not of your work, but together, and I was able to ask you to do this. So, and many happy and wonderful things have happened in between last summer and now that are, I hope we get to unpack. So I'm going to, I'm going to reel it back okay. and, and ask like, 
when and how photography entered your life. That would really be helpful to hear. Okay. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Sib, for having invite inviting me and for having creating this space together and for inviting me to sit in your beautiful space surrounded by all these gorgeous books and images. It's just it's really lovely to be here and thank to have time to talk with you. Um, so your question is, how did I get started with photography? Yeah, almost. I kind of went around the other way to say, how did photography enter your life? Mm. Because it could come in in a lot of different ways, not necessarily as a maker, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. I think like, how did photography find me? Mm. Or how did, like, how did photography, um, chase me until I listened and, <laughs> and then embraced it? But, um, I, so I've been thinking about this question a lot and I, um, I've settled on, uh, believing that all the time spent as a child looking out of car windows mm-hmm. is really what cemented um, oh. my understanding of seeing the world in different framed moments. And, um, oh. you know, of course, um, I didn't, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have any of those things. So mm-hmm. a car ride meant um, a lot of time looking out the window. And, um, you know, I have vivid memories of uh, always watching the moon, right? Because I grew up thinking that the moon could see me. It had a face. And so on long drives, uh, my family would often drive from Connecticut to Vermont. And um, I just can remember lying in the back seat because, of course, we didn't always wear seatbelts then mm-hmm. either. Um, and just seeing how the moon looked, you know, from the rear view uh, window to the window that was in front of me and how things changed in that way. And also um, I have vivid memories of moments where uh, if you drive in the, if you're driving in the country um, and you're going to a place like Vermont, sometimes you see deer and Mm. people who do this know that if you see a deer and a deer sees you, it stops in the headlights. That's the deer in the headlights. Um, where it came from statement, right <laughs> and so oftentimes we would be driving down a road and um it would be at night and there would be a deer in the headlights and it would stand there and my dad would keep the lights on for a little bit so of course that's also like a very cinematic way to yes. look at um, to look at something in nature and um we would the car would quiet down and we'd all be mesmerized by this beautiful deer in the um front of the car and at some point he decided he wanted to release the deer from this moment and and would cut the lights off and the second he turned them back on, the deer was gone, literally making the, the frame is now different. So in a second, um, a frame could be, you know, a frame could turn from one thing to the next. And the feeling that accompanies looking at a frame could, could turn from wonder to, you know, release or, or a relief. So I, I think that these wow. moments of just staring at the car window um, created narratives for me you know like the it awoken the inner storyteller in me even if I didn't know that's what was happening at the time okay you've like blown my mind already (laughs) because um I can relate to that on so many levels but it sparks a lot one is I grew up in New York and we had relatives in New Jersey and we would drive and I was in the back seat I adored being able to drive down the BQE and look in all these different lives yeah. through the windows, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, it was just fun and and mesmerizing. Right. Um, so I totally get that. But then how you have taken that 
actuality and conceptualized its impact is genius because you were basically introduced to the magic of photography in a very organic and kind of um, innocent way. Mm -hmm. But if you think about what your dad did and by stopping, it's still life. You stop life. Right. And you've mm -hmm. got this window and you've got it as all of you engaged in it, right? So the power of image and the power of that stop gapness right. and then how you associated like the wonder silencing the car. And then when the deer's gone, it's a, a little bit of magic too, and a little bit of loss, like, wait, where to right. go and that engagement. So that's so cool that you yeah. really, I would say like, um, aligned all those dots in a very brilliant way. It's also the Congrats. power of the gaze, right? It's the, you know, I'm, I'm looking back on it. I'm, yeah. I just realized that I was engaging with my own gaze. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. But it's also interesting about storytellers, right? Because out of the four people that were, or sometimes five people that were in the car, I was the only one crafting a story out of that. I don't think my <laughs> siblings would think back in that time. They think, oh, wow, that's so cool. We saw a deer. But I don't think that they were, you know, yeah, paying attention it, to the light or the negative space or anything like that. So I, I yeah, it's yeah. so cool. But I mean, basically, it's like it ignited something in you. Right. And then you are off to the races. That's the other thing that you reminded me, not only of my BQE backseat voyeuristic times, but I still really recall when I first saw Dwayne Michaels and he was writing about his relationship to the moon as a kid, right? And mm -hmm. that he thought it basically followed him. He just didn't know it was actually following me. <laughs> I'm sure you all think that, but yeah, no, that, that feeling of that, the intimacy really is, is what it is. It's like an intimacy with yes. this, with the natural world that we're personifying and, mm -hmm. and, and having this, dialogue with yes awesome. yes 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 and it's so funny because you're right like it always bothered me when I saw in the time of minivans with drop-down screens and kids watching movies and it was like I don't think this is a really wonderful use of time and the yeah. idea that we've lost some of that wandering time unscheduled time just I, yeah. I just think the power of observation like th there's mm. um i know that when i'm um, taking the my nieces and my daughter on trips they're either eyes closed sleeping mm -hmm. or their eyes in their phone mm -hmm. you know and sometimes they're chatting amongst each, amongst each other but um i felt like i learned so much about the natural world just from long drives mm -hmm. you know not just the moon but like just thinking about looking at which trees turn colors at certain times and how the scrub or how the pine trees change to scrub when you get you know when you leave boston you get closer to, to cape cod or mm -hmm. just all of those differences in landscape and we are like yeah, are you in spirits because <laughs> i can remember being on a car ride and insisting that I was going to see where the snow started because I knew oh, that it right yeah. had to be it wasn't snowing it was snowing right. and there was a demarcation yeah and it's like I like I peeled 
yeah, to well, try to see that. Yeah, I actually remember a time <laughs> seeing it rain on one side of the street yes. and not on the other. And that was a, that was a, a trip to the Cape. Oh, fun. But my, girl, my girls would have missed that. My nieces and daughter would have missed it because yes. their eyes would be on their phones. So, yeah. Well, a, yeah. I, we have a lot in common for sure. So I love that you've backed us up to that point because that's such a natural um, – really organic and authentic storytelling muscle that was being exercised for you. So take us further into how you actualize that or why. I think it was, I think it's a calling. I really do. Mm -hmm. I, and um, mm -hmm. if I look back and I assess moments where I wanted to photograph or thought I took a good photograph, um, you know, there, it just, continued to, that feeling continued to visit me so i remember um coming back from a trip where i had some little kodak throwaway camera and the uh, my mom and i went to bermuda and the photos came back from probably someplace i think it was like seattle didn't people used to send film to seattle and then it would come back i think that was like the first mail away film yeah thing. yeah which was so exciting yeah seattle i don't remember it's called seattle work something like that but um and anyway, the film came back, you know, and I just remember looking at it and thinking, oh, there's, there's something to this. And I remember feeling really excited about it. Mm. And I also remember that, you know, nobody else was excited about the, <laughs> the photos either, but I felt something. So I must have been connecting with some, I was about in sixth grade. I must have been connecting with some awareness that this was a communicative tool mm. and that something about it was coming easily for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say, School did not always come easily for, for mm -hmm. me. And so it was exciting to find something that was I was able to speak through. But it still took a long time for me to get to actually uh, being able to photograph. So I, I didn't photograph in um, high school. I was mm -hmm. too self-conscious. I didn't want to join the photography class, but I was super you know, envious and curious and looking at what people were making. And I was buying lots of photography books. So that's another thing. I wonder if you were doing that. <laughs> so sitting here among all your photography books, I wonder <laughs> if you were also getting those books at, um, at that young age. But um, just reading, looking, falling in love with photographs, falling in love with different photographers. And I didn't take a photography class until I got to UMass Boston. Mm -hmm. And I, the first camera I had came from one of my best friends, and it was like a Sears 35 millimeter that belonged to her grandfather. Mm -hmm. But it was so exciting to have that first camera and to be able to finally have a tool that I could use. And mm -hmm. um, I know privately we've discussed this before, but um, UMass Boston does not have a, um, a photo department. Mm -hmm. They only offer two classes. Mm -hmm. I took those two classes and I talked my way into two independent studies nice. with um, Melissa Shook, who's an amazing photographer. And this is another mm. place where our lives have intersected because you're one of the few people I know who actually knows her work, even though her work was in um, at, at um, iPad this year, mm -hmm. which was exciting. Mm -hmm. um, but she did pass away about two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but she's my only photography uh instructor teacher professor that i've that i've had so mm -hmm. the only formal training i've had was with this with was with melissa shook mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well serendipitous but you know her explore with the camera was so intimate so vulnerable mm -hmm. so expansive right. like kudos you got the right person right. 
But I also think of something I just want to underscore from what you yeah. said about the photography uh, or the imagery being a communicative tool and that you ultimately came to be able to speak through it. But what is so evident is that your conversation with the medium has been evolving all along. And that's something that is so important to develop. And it's almost like you developed the ear or eye yeah. before you actually got to play with the instrument. Really, and yeah, yeah. Really got to be in communion with the object that was going to help you actually make the things that that solidified that relationship. So I think that's really, really interesting. Yeah. I talk a lot. I, I was just dealing with a client today and explaining the importance of being in conversation with your work and that the work leads you. That absolutely that's yeah. the key. Yeah. And there, you know, I introduce, you know, <laughs> name of my podcast has got punctum and mm -hmm. I do that because I love how Roland Bart wrestled that thread out of the dynamic relationship. And in my concept aware uh, framework, I'm trying to insert the maker in that and that the maker's relationship with their emotional exchange and relationship with the subject, with what they're capturing imbues the punctum that then mm -hmm. hits the viewer. Right. Not that your punctum is going to be anyone else's or that you can actually predict because we all bring to it all these other aspects that help us read a photograph. And we come to a photograph differently depending on our own selves and our evolution. So anyway, you had such a leg up on that foundational pillar of of actually using the tool the communicative yeah. tool of a photograph and i think um i i'm thinking of another story of it actually it kind of comes back to you but um of just uh you know you said something about the evolution of the work and i do realize in reflecting that there are some images that I have been taking my whole life mm. and I'm still chasing them. And it's, I can't even say necessarily what it is because I'm working from a feeling, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes that feeling is not just, it's not a shallow or superficial feeling. It's something very ancient. Mm. And um, so I just wanted to say that uh, mm. something else that happened out of a, at this, this time was out of a bus window, but I was coming back from New York city last year after seeing you. Mm. Um, and I wasn't paying attention to where the bus was going. And um, from I, used, I grew up in Connecticut. Um, but from afar, we were going through some little city. I didn't know where it was because I didn't even look at like the route that the bus mm -hmm. was taking back. And I look up on the hill and I see this large white cross. Oh, and you're at Waterbury. I'm at Waterbury. Right? <laughs> exactly. Now, I was born in Waterbury. Oh, my goodness. And I lived in a town, a few towns over in Southbury. So I was, I was about three and a half. Mm -hmm. But to my knowledge, I had never been back to Waterbury. So I wanted to know. I was 
like my whole body was vibrating because I didn't understand how I knew that that cross was there. It was like when I saw it, I was full of memory. Wow. And I knew it was like a white concrete cross. I had all this knowledge about it. And I thought, this is wild. How do I, why, why is this resonating with me? Mm, yeah. And um, I called my sister like a day or two after and just said, did I, you know, she's much older than I, but did I ever, um, oh, sorry, if she's listening, she's not that much older than I am. She's a little bit older than I am. Um, oh, a hawk just flew over. Oh, that's awesome. Stop. That, Are no, you serious? Yeah, it's beautiful. I have a thing with hawks. Look, I have a hawk tattoo. I see them okay. everywhere. That's beautiful. Okay, wait, because I have a thing with hawks. Oh. So that's totally crazy. And if I showed you that this week alone, I've seen four. Oh. In real life. Yeah. Like, as in, like, yeah. feet away. That's okay, beautiful. that's bizarre. But okay. Oh, my that's God. Beautiful. For people okay, who can't see, just ridiculous by this big window in the office. That's awesome. I wish I saw it. I see <laughs> over there, but yeah, yeah, that it, that's where it went. But yeah. oh my goodness, so funny. Okay. But go ahead. Well, here we are talking about symbols and things yeah. that are resonating. Um, so my, I asked my sister, had, did I ever go back to Waterbury after I was born there? And she said, no, you never did. And I was like, well, that's this is so strange because mm. I have this like real um, feeling about this giant cross that I saw out, out, out the window. Like I've seen it a hundred times. And she goes, oh, you know what? You probably saw it out the car window when we were driving to Vermont. So this right, it comes right back full circle to my story. Um, because there's a the highway or whatever we were driving on looks down on Waterbury. Mm -hmm. So I had seen this scene several times, you know, in early childhood that it like it also was speaking to something in me mm -hmm. that um, I couldn't name then. I probably still can't name now, but it was something about the, I'm not a religious person. I wasn't raised in, in mm. a religious household, but I am very attracted to and attached to, uh, look, symbolism. <laughs> symbolism. I'm literally wearing a, a, a ring of a saint. And I've got, <laughs> oh, I had my Virgin Mary a necklace on, but I took it off before I came. Um, and the reason that that's also important to me, it's not just that I had, I, you know, was surprised that I could remember this, um, well, it was pre-verbal on yeah, some level, right? Exactly, right? Mm -hmm. It was pre-verbal. I think that's a good way to say it. But I also look at my work. I look through cousins now. And although I don't talk about it, there is a very subtle religiosity in many of the images. Not mm -hmm. all of them. Some of them are very um, much more traditionally documentary. Mm -hmm. And some of them are, um, well, I don't know what you call them. I'm not sure if it's exactly more fine art, but they're... Um, but they stand, they have a little, more, little bit more of a standalone energy and feeling to them. And, you know, I see it and I just started to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I also see it happening in some of the new work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's fascinating that all of these things are connected, you know, and again, mm -hmm. it comes back to like this visual memory, even if it's pre-verbal or even if I, you know, I couldn't understand the effect it was having on me. It's here I am middle aged and it's, um, it's manifesting yeah, it's on manifesting, right. Um, you're making me think of a million things, and I'm also going to have to say that we are recording in my studio, which is in, in a mixed industrial <laughs> space, and my Potter neighbor is working, and I'm listening to their music because our floorboards, you can hear everything. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully it's not too loud. But um, So you are talking about such interesting things because going back to that idea of a pre-verbal memory, right? Um, I was thinking of 
the kind of knowing beyond knowing, which mm-hmm. I would look at as something like intuition. Mm-hmm. And that I think if we tie back to punctum, if you talk to people, it's a gut response. Um, Roland Bart was, it pierces your heart. I remember I asked a few different people um, if um, I could use their definition because it used to be on my website. And Lindsay Adario describes it as what jumps from a photograph and grabs your heart. Um, Jim Dow did this hilarious description of like, three things happening at once between like a gut punch and your head blowing up and and it's all this visceral stuff but yeah. it's very in the body yeah. um and beyond words mm-hmm. and this idea of if we can open the channel to that knowing beyond knowing and explore it it often has wonderful jewels for us mm-hmm. and i'm thinking of things like even dreams right Mm -hmm. or or just these uh, you're describing it that you're taking this picture that you're not even sure what you're taking i love it because you're leaving that question open which is super smart and really helpful and that the idea that the religious religiosity that you are are hearing uh, from looking at your own work and reflecting on it. Um, to me, I think you're picking up on a universality of something that's going on. Mm-hmm. You're picking up about a knowing beyond knowing, like that yeah, that no, thing true. that you can't put necessarily into words, um, which is tied to religion, spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. It's all those things that are meanings that are beyond what we can actually contain or hold. I, I go back to this sad but true experience yeah. that after 9-11, when we were all so trying to grapple with the ingestion of this experience, it was probably the second day after a radio program just played a requiem and it burst open my experience and heart. Mm -hmm. And all I thought of, of of course, like music is taking me where words couldn't go. And I think photographs can do that too. And I think that's what's so exciting about punctum because we're meeting there and it's not even the same place, but it's that we're going to that deeper knowing and relationship. Yes. which I think is so, so exciting. I have two things to, to say about that. One is silly, but it's my, um, I've had conversations with my son who's an adult and I've, you know, we've talked about religion, et cetera. And I'll just say, well, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not religious. And I, this, some, some of this just feels like, um, you know, silly to me or mythological to me. And he's, always reminds me that I may not be religious, but I do believe there's magical powers with hawks. So he's like, you just believe hawks are magic. I'm like, well, okay, I'll take them as a good omen. But so, you know, I'm tied in, even if I'm questioning the um, more traditional religions. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing, I loved what you said about music. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. I, one of the loveliest things about being at, uh, having a McDowell residency mm-hmm. was being in, um, in a similar space, a shared space, sorry, with um, 
different types of artists. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot from that experience. I didn't yes. anticipate that that would be so powerful for me when I when I first went. Mm-hmm. I really went very naively, not knowing how transformative the experience would be. <laughs> um, and one of the things I uh, started to do was to think differently about um, music. I started to ask myself, there was a few uh, composers there, mm-hmm. um, what is the, what would this, what is the soundtrack to this? Mm-hmm. So if I was looking at different um, sequences of my work, cause I was trying to sequence uh, cousins is going to be a book very mm-hmm. soon, actually. Mm-hmm. I can tell you about that more later, but, um, and I was creating different sequences on the wall. Um, cause McDowell has these gigantic uh, bulletin boards. Mm-hmm. And I was spending a lot of time asking myself what, you know, what does, what would this say? What musicality would this mm-hmm. sequence have? What would it say? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I tried to find it, you know, a lot of time alone in the woods. So listening to music is really, uh, was really lovely. Um, so that was one thing about uh, a, t- a takeaway from McDowell and thinking about um, the connection of different types of creative thinking. Mm-hmm. And then I'm finding with my new work that the music is happening first. Wow. And then I'm photographing after. That's so interesting. Okay. So now you made me think of a number of different things. Um, One, that residencies are transformative. And I was going to ask you about yours. Um, I've had that experience. It wasn't until I did my first residency and they had... Uh, why I'm so addicted to <laughs> magnetic whiteboards yeah. is in my residency, they had magnetic wallpaper. And my, uh, because I predominantly write, etc. research, I wasn't putting work up. And at the residency, I dumped all of my stuff out and I put it on two walls. Mm-hmm. I ran out of magnets and I had this little roller chair and I pushed back and it was like Tetris. All of my theory that had been building on a horizontal plane when it was vertical started to come together. Yeah. I moved it around. I came up with this framework that like hit me over the head. And by the time I finished, I literally was like, this could be a book like it just was this really cool experience to see it so when you said that they have bulletin boards i have this flat surface here and i tell anyone i'm working with to look both vertically and horizontally because we stand over the work and that's one experience it's another one to have it on the wall and walk by it and it's also really helpful to walk away from it and when you talk about sequence, I often think of sequencing as a lyrical exercise. You are choreographing. That's why all these different art forms all layer on each other right. between dance and music and cinema, because you are storytelling with a rhythm and a melody and and a beginning and an end and space. Like you don't want to necessarily take your 15 most impactful images and go like staccato there's a rhythm that you're looking for so kudos kudos the other thing is that idea of your openness to innovate your practice 
like to allow music to lead you, that's a great thing. I think it's just that when I find that there's anything that brings me to that moment that you were talking about a few minutes ago, intuition or, um, or like the, an opening up of mm-hmm. space, the universe, whatever, um, mm-hmm. or that I think you were describing somebody saying like a, a punch in the gut or whatever. Mm-hmm. For me, a lot of times it's, um, I feel like crying. Mm-hmm. And that's more often when I'm photographing by myself mm-hmm. or if I'm by myself and I got a feeling and I feel like crying and I can't necessarily name it. I don't really know what it is, but then I'll, uh, this, this relates to the girls, but like I'll, I would have brought my nieces out because I know there's something that's reverberating somewhere that is something I have to say, something mm-hmm. I have to work out and, mm-hmm. um, and would, would photograph them. But, um, but it often starts with like that, uh, just, I think crying is just an opening up of mm-hmm. of your. You're just opening your heart wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. your emotion center. Sadness. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and the idea that you can't name it. I love this because you're talking about something I think is super important, which is getting comfortable being uncomfortable, yeah. and and you're again using your observational abilities, and so instead of pushing it down or pushing it aside you are in relationship with it and you don't have to know yet, but you will like follow it like a scent almost. Right. Um, which I think is so interesting. And that idea of the opening of the space, um, one of my other artist talks, um, Jessica Todd Harper, uh, spoke about flow mm-hmm. and that, that she also is talking about when she is taking a photograph that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, and I can liken it. Um, I, uh, I love, though I haven't done it in way too long, um, throwing clay on a wheel. And I was once in a class and a friend came to meet me and they stood so close to my wheel and I was just enraptured. I didn't even take it in. And when I got to the place I needed to, and I kind of looked up, she basically jumped and was like, I don't know where you were, but like you weren't yeah, here. Yeah, and I it was like the word ra- enraptured or rapture. I yeah. think there is a real piece of that when you're creating. And mm-hmm. um, it's all of those things that we keep talking about meditation, flow, rapture, feeling like crying, you know, just it's, it's, it's an opening. It's a soul opening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I often talk about imagery being my soul food and it really is. So, I know, I know cousins, but let's talk about that and that um, etiology because I now have such a better understanding of your relationship with imagery and the communicative tool it is. And I'm impressed because you have many of the foundational aspects that people who are crafted first have to come around to because it's really a blend of both Mm -hmm. um so how did those pieces align for you to end up almost building a body of work um well i think i should probably like i was thinking i should step back and say that after i got out of umass Mm -hmm. um I was photographing, but one thing about going to a university that does not have a photography um, department is that mm-hmm. you don't learn to build a body of work necessarily. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. Um, and um, 
or many of the other things that I would have, I assume that people learn when they go through a, a photo program or a strong art school, or go to an art school with a strong program mm-hmm. um, about how to navigate mm-hmm. uh, photographing and creating uh, bodies of work and getting it out in the world, etc. cetera. Um, so I continued to photograph, but I also became a mom when I was finishing college. So um, uh, time, access re- to resources, all that kind of stuff um, has always been a little bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't start in earnest again with uh, photographing until my daughter was born, which is, you know, there's a big age gap between my daughter and my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think because I was older too, I was just feeling like, well, actually I know it was because I was older, but also I lost my best friend mm-hmm. and I had a real sense of like the, that this is a temporary ride for us all. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just felt like I have things to say and I need, and I need to say them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way cousins started was, uh, it did not start as a body of work. Yeah. Right. It started because, I mean, I knew I was taking uh, solidly composed images of the Mm -hmm. girls. Um, I was, you know, definitely working as with a photographer's mind, but I wasn't thinking this is going to become a body of work Mm -hmm. Um, until I got to one image. And uh, I often cite, even though it's not actually the first image in the series, it's the one I cite to the moment where I started to realize, oh, there's something bigger happening here. I'm saying something that's actually. Um, or I'm connecting with so that something is being said that's actually useful and, uh, you know, more has a more universal um, message that mm-hmm. people can tap into that other than a mother and an aunt mm-hmm. photographing young children. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so it was just a very short time where I felt like I was taking family photographs after that. It never really felt, I know I've been described as someone who's taking mm-hmm. family photographs, but it never actually, I never actually saw myself that way mm-hmm. because I knew that there was just um, a, like a circularity and exchange between the girls and I always in, in terms of telling their stories that w- it was never a straight. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting about cousins is that it's, a long-term series and it is documenting the girls over time, but it's not a traditional documentary mm-hmm. series, right? It's, it's um, sometimes it's telling the girl's story. Sometimes it's telling mine. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's telling the story of, uh, of female childhood, femininity, mm-hmm. the, um, all of those things. So there's a lot mixed into this mm-hmm. series, which I think makes it unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I took this one particular image with two of the girls, my daughter and the niece that's the middle niece that's uh, my daughter's age, Leah and Apple, mm-hmm. um, they were reaching for each other in a body of water that's actually in, in Connecticut. So the girls were on vacation with me. Mm-hmm. It's where I learned to swim. And they were maybe five at the time. And um, when I, they're reaching across to each other in the water, I was on the shore. I don't know what they were saying. You know, their conversation remains to this day theirs and not mine but when i saw that image i thought okay something's happening here so i became more intentional about Mm -hmm. photographing them and bringing the camera with us more and um over the last 13 years you know a lot has happened in Mm -hmm. terms of their relationship with me and the camera their relationship to being photographed Mm -hmm. um having a a visual presence that Mm -hmm. is then not just something that we are all looking at, but 
people they don't know are looking mm-hmm. at, people mm-hmm. buying magazines are looking at, people visiting an art gallery looking at, mm-hmm. collectors are purchasing images of them. And so it's um so there's even a change there in terms mm-hmm. of their um their relationship to having visual presence. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. Now you've got me going in a million different directions again. <laughs> um not only visual presence, but I think uh, there's layers here. So one is this idea that I love that you're saying how you conceptualized yourself was not as a family photographer or not solely documenting in a traditional sense. And it's my premise that I think women are changing the face of documentary photography. Um, historically, lack of access, etc., mm-hmm. um, made for a, um, a workaround sometimes, and the whole access and time and resources um, made for innovative ways and also longer, more patient ways, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately more intimate and potentially vulnerable ways to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're in this visual, um, a sophistication of our visual eye. We're all more adept at communicating with this tool um, because we are flooded with the language. Um, So I'm thinking about how I think about documentary, but I'm also hearing you entered into a collaboration. It was, you were actually expansive about the ownership and you were attuned to have an elasticity there of whose story I'm telling. And it really sounds like it went from mine to theirs to ours, um, which is really wonderful. Um, The other thing that you made me think of is what a dramatic 13 years to capture in a girl's life in any lifetime, but to capture it in our last Two decades when you, our kids are digital natives. So I was thinking about a visual presence, but I was thinking about self-perception and how interesting and different it is for these young women who are part of the world of, you know, selfies and TikTok and Snapchat and blah, 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 that they're, they're in a whole other realm of being seen and yeah. being responded to. So it's a lot. I had this beautiful, poignant, but unexpected moment with my oldest niece, Kayla, who's um, now at NYU, the new school, sorry, new school, now at the new school, and she's yeah. studying film and photography. So that's also like, super, no surprise. Super, yeah, no surprise. <laughs> and like, just a clever twist of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was maybe the summer of 2020 or 2021. Um, we were sitting, masks were still involved. That's, I just remember that, but we're sitting in the car eating pizza. And I said, uh, we had been talking about a book being on the horizon at that point. Now we're very close to that, um, coming to fruition. But, um, and I, 
was telling her that a lot of people had been telling me not, that maybe I needed to just end cousins. It needed to be ended now and I needed to start a new body of work. And I do think you, you've, you've kind of um, nodded to this, but I do think that there's um, photographers who create or at least are guided to create by starting a project, ending a project, starting another project, ending a project. So they kind of start with their intellect mm-hmm. um, or decision rather than being led to the work. Mm-hmm. You know, I think different approaches work for different people. It's not my way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking, do we need to end this? Things are about to happen, right? Like Kayla was about to go off to college. Yeah. She was about to be away from me. And, and she, you know, I, we, I couldn't gather everybody together. She was growing up. The girls were about to start high school, the two middle ones. Um, and so I said, I'm thinking about ending cousins. You know, I think maybe we're going you know, to become a book. Maybe this is time. And the surprising um thing was that Kayla got very quiet and she then looked up at me and said Auntie Kay I just feel like if the you know if you stop photographing me if the work stops then I stop too Mm. and I had never really paused to consider um I mean it sounds silly of me not to have reflected on that but I never paused to consider how it was um how they were developing as young women being seen in that way mm-hmm. and, and what, and how, and, and seeing that for Kayla at that, you know, she was letting me know that that was very valuable and important to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, in a positive way. And I also, of course, love the idea that a girl being photographed was a po- was positive to her yeah. in a way that is not also traditional in the way that we think of girls as wanting to be seen. Correct. Because the images, you know, the images in Cousins are not sexualized Mm -hmm. and that's... Or glamorized. Or or glamorized. And that's not even on purpose. Mm -hmm. That's just simply how my daughter and my nieces live in the world. Mm -hmm. They're just, their eyes are on different prizes. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they're not, you know, interested in being um, lovely creatures, but Mm -hmm. it's, their eyes are just on, um, uh, they're they're trying to reach different ends. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was eye-opening to me. And I think another piece of Cousins that makes it unique, which I didn't see all along, but I've seen it. I see it now more clearly as we've come, as we are coming to a close or chapter close anyway, is that um, there's plenty of work, as you know, about girls growing up. You know, it's, it's an interesting genre. Mm -hmm. It's um, we we see it over and over again because it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is an, an expected, um, pattern to this kind of looking at girls growing up over time. Mm-hmm. And that pattern is that girls start off very innocent, playful, unaware of themselves, become more aware, self-conscious. Then their interests are driven towards, um, I would say, you know, dating, but typically it's like dating boys, not just, you know, um, that, that's the, the, the patriarchal view. Um, and that there's some sort of loss of innocence. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that's not even a true narrative, but it's mm-hmm. not what I am saying is it's not the only narrative. Mm-hmm. And in Cousins, you see a different narrative because the girls are never ve- veer away from themselves mm-hmm. and their relationship to each other and their relationship to themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is an, that was an unintended, very beautiful outcome of this mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not even, again, like I'm saying, I, it wasn't intentional for me to say, oh, I'm not going to get them primping or I'm not going to get them making, I don't know, whatever, fish faces or whatever. Um, 
it's just who they are. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's a very authentic unfolding of this story that mm-hmm. is not the typical. Um, oh gosh, you and I were talking in the past about um, like an arc. Yeah, like an arc, and saying, uh, you know, oh, I know. Just that, and in addition to this um, idea that this is unique in this way, it's also a very it's grounded in femininity because I am a female photographer mm-hmm. photographing, um, you know, four girls. Mm-hmm. Um, they, in the, in the, fo- within the photographs, they are looking at me. I am looking at them. There's this, you know, constant circularity of the gaze, mm-hmm. but we often talk about like the fem- the female gaze or whatever, but uh, this is you and I were one time mentioning to each other, the, um, how astonished we both are that we talk about the female gaze, but so often the female gaze is still grounded in the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And, and in this series, it just absolutely is not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting um, because you're right about the arc that is the narrative of the unaware through the um, self-consciousness, through the coupling, through the loss of innocence super patriarchal, heteronormative Mm -hmm. view. And um, there's a groundbreaking in that natural unfolding that is so drowned out, which I think when Kayla said, wait, it's because... There it is. I mean, their representation was very tied into empowerment in terms of all they needed, or not all, but you are capturing enoughness because of their relationship to themselves and their relationship to each other. And that's massive. (laughs) <laughs> it's so simple, but it's it is massive. It is. Yeah. It's also that gives me chills because it's really not easy to get to, right? To pull yeah. it apart because what's well, there's not per- it's not performative girl power. Yeah, it's just really about yes. their relationship and their and their growing into themselves and mm-hmm. how they always um, have one another to. To, you know, to, to just to measure them, not to measure themselves against in that kind of way, but to I just to find their way. Like yes. I'm thinking compass. Yes, like, that's a perfect yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. not to point it. Um, that's amazing. I'm so glad we 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 pulled that thread out because it's so important and not as simple to articulate. Right. Uh, but it's making me think of a few things. Um, Aside from the fact that the music keeps changing downstairs, which is cracking <laughs> me up. Soundtrack. It's so funny. Well, it just kind of connects to me saying that I hear the soundtrack. This is just another soundtrack. Of uh, just cracks floating me up because it's like, yeah, um, <laughs> I don't have my Sonos on. They have theirs. But um, I want to get to talk about the bookmaking mm-hmm. and I'm probably not going to be able to do justice to all three, but I have three more things Mm -hmm. one is building your community finding your community you had to do that without a undergraduate program leading you that way um so any highlights of that um how the book 
formulation came about and 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 the icing on the cake being the Guggenheim. Yes. So <laughs> fast forward or I don't know, but those are three things I'd love for you to be able to speak about. Okay, but now you have to tell me the first one that you just said. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it I'm good at that. I think about three tracks at the same time. Not easy. I mentioned the first being, let me go back in my head. It was the building of community. Oh, the building of community. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, yes, I think uh, I think that Instagram has been a lovely, wonderful, very democratic way to build great. community for myself. Mm -hmm. And I know that this place can be shallow. I am tortured by their recent algorithms. Um, and... You know, it can be a lot of negative things, but it has proven to be a space if used wisely mm -hmm. to really connect with people. So mm -hmm. I have created wonderful friendships with people that I have met first on Instagram. Awesome. Um, some, uh, you know, many of them I've met and now we spend time together, we travel together, um, um, we go out to dinner to the, together, et cetera. And then there's other folks that I have not met yet. Yeah. But uh, you even started off the, um, this art yeah, with Vivian. Saying with, right. That you right, have this um, connection with people. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a photographer, for instance, in LA. I think he is the most magnificent photographer. I cannot, I just can't wait for 10 years from now for people to, you know, be looking back and talking about his like massive career. But, um, his name is Jet Lara. He rides his bike around um, L.A., downtown L.A., takes the most incredible, deep, personal, beautiful photographs. Um, I, we've never met in person, mm -hmm. but I have ridden my bike around town, and I know you're a bike rider. Mm -hmm. And I've and I, before we even started chatting online, I was saying to myself at times, look at me, I'm Jet Laura. I'm seeing the world the way he sees it. And I mean, I think that's like a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. And so that, that connection to, um, to uh, watching how somebody sees the world, you know, on this social app, to then taking that out into my real life world and mm -hmm. thinking, oh, wow, now I'm actually beginning to see the world the way he sees it. I'm mm -hmm. learning something about you know, visualizing the world, understanding the world just from how I've watched somebody do it on Instagram. Um, awesome. So there's, a, you know, an example of somebody I have not actually met in person yet. Um, but I've made other friends that we found each other on Instagram and then we did FaceTimes together and then we had conversations and then we met and then, you know, before we know it, I'm, I've got lovely, lovely, wonderful friendships. And another thing I did was because I did find, um, I found it hard to permeate circles in the Boston photo world several years ago. Mm -hmm. And it felt a little isolating. And also just photography in general is can be isolating. We work in isolation. So I was uh, trying to figure out how to connect with people, how to build community, just like you said. Um, so this was 2019. Mm -hmm. I got in touch with um, two photographers. Um, that I had one I had not met in person. Um, mm -hmm. We just had work that kept landing in the same spaces. So we were having um, conversations, messaging each other. Uh, one I had met in person, Rohina Hoffman, our, we had met in person at a, a show that she did in um, at Brown University mm -hmm. the year before. But I reached out to the two of them and said, I'm feeling really isolated. I don't know how to connect to people in my own greater Boston area. Um, 
we're connecting. Would you want to figure out some kind of way that we could have um, some sort of way Excellent. to have this intercoastal, or is that a word, intercoastal? Mm, bicoastal. Bicoastal, thank mm -hmm. you. Bicoastal um, support group or yeah. critique group or something. Yeah. And they both thought that would be great. Um, and then we decided that we would each ask one other person so mm. that we mm. had that buy-in and we brought in somebody yeah. that we somehow knew. So all of a sudden we had six women. Mm. Um, one in Somerville, Mass. Oh, sorry, that's not true. Two in Somerville, Mass. Myself in Cambridge, Mass. Um, Anna in Brooklyn. And um, Safi and Rohina in in L.A. Mm. Yeah. And um, But the cute part of the story is that it was the end of 2019 and we were thinking, okay, now we've got interest and a group of cool women, how are we going to connect with each other? <laughs> and um, I think it was Rohina who said she had been at a meeting once where they used this thing called Zoom. And we're like, oh, that's fascinating. Oh, oh that's okay. actually true. I asked my ex-husband, um, what, what had, and he said the same thing. Oh, he'd been in a meeting. He'd use this thing, Zoom, as an educator. And um, we thought, well, okay, what the hell? Let's give it a try. <laughs> so we had two meetings before march 2020 yep. on zoom we spent three hours at each meeting you know having getting to know each other and doing a critique and you know we thought you know this is kind of cool and then all of a sudden the whole wide world knew what zoom was oh my God. so we like to look back on that time and we stayed together as a group for about two years um that's as so important i mean you're talking about what i think of as accountability in addition to the community um genius and and just i mean i think collaboration is essential um and you brought out i mean my tag for concept aware is how you see and why it matters yeah. so when you talk about oh i'm seeing like jeff yeah like that's actually in every photo book book group i do i'm trying to see as that artist sees Right. Um, entering the work um, because we often don't articulate how we see because it's quite sometimes unconscious and and just there's an organic and naturalness to it that we don't take out and articulate and once you do it's empowering right um, so I love that you brought that up and I've been thinking about it a lot uh, this weekend will be the day that I started the photo book book group or would have in this studio with these books and our building closed. And it's why I went online yeah. and it's how the photo book book group lived for two years right. and then morphed into the podcast. Right. So that's, yeah, Zoom, right. which was really interesting. Our first photo book book group was within 10 days of lockdown um so that's interesting mm -hmm. so tell me about the the book in the sense that i think people you know i used to hear as a consultant people would come in and say hi i really want a solo show now people come in and say hi i want a book mm -hmm. so like how it feels as if you've let things unfold or i like to say unfurl so how did the word. book <laughs> i do too how did the book how did the book unfold? Unfurl. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, um, I had been told by several people the work would be, you know, was a, would be, make a perfect book. I think it makes sense. It's a book of people growing up over time. So it ha does have that narrative arc, the work, mm -hmm. rather. Um, but the, the 
get getting to the point of actually making the book happen has mm -hmm. been about two years in the making. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I do understand that this um, does happen. And I was working, I was talking to a different publisher than I'm working with now. Mm -hmm. And the person who was the, I don't know what her title is, but anyway, she's so super lovely. Um, it's Alexa Becker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, she was super supportive and helping me. And I was going to go with this one publisher and then right at the end, I just had an intuitive feeling that I needed to make a switch and mm -hmm. I um, started speaking to a, a different publisher mm -hmm. and I feel so embarrassed, but I know I'm going to say their name wrong, but this is just, this is just me, but it's mm -hmm. um, Lartieri. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. you, please forgive me correct. if I said your name wrong. <laughs> anyway, they are also super lovely mm -hmm. and we have um, been working on the design. I'm expecting, um, Oh gosh, I don't know what it's samples to come. Yeah, They've been FedEx yeah. to me. Yeah, I'm gonna look. Yeah, but we do have a yeah. Um, yes, thank you. That is the mm -hmm. word. And we are looking to release it at the ICP book uh, festival mm -hmm. in New York. Um, when is that? Is that May? I think it's May. Whoa! So that's it's So this fast. last yeah, this last part is happening really fast. Um, and um, I found a wonderful writer who actually spoke at the. What were you just speaking at? The, uh, the spotlight? Yep. She the spoke. Uh, yep. I think she spoke um, maybe two two speakers before you. Oh, okay. Day. Yeah. Um, yep. Alyssa Prince. And she's That's actually great. somebody um, from Cambridge who mm -hmm. is doing um, her work. She's a postdoc and she's at Boston University right now. And her mm -hmm. work is on looking at um, images of the black diaspora. Mm. Um, and so I, I love that the world found a way to bring me to this woman who is actually has grown up as a woman of color in the same city that, you know, my daughter and nieces have grown up in. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, for those of us who know Cambridge, it's, it's really a place unto itself. Mm -hmm. And there's a kind of, you, you grow up um, here with a very particular mindset mm -hmm. and perspective. And I, so I find it, is going to be just a lovely wedding of the mm -hmm. writing and the imagery mm -hmm. from people who are from the same place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can totally resonate with that. And um, I'm so glad. And that's so exciting. So because we have just a couple minutes and I don't want this to run out either, mm -hmm. um, the Guggenheim. Yes, I am so delighted and still blown away that um, I am a Guggenheim Fellow. Yeah. It's, um, it's really, it's such a gift. Mm -hmm. And I I mean that probably in a different way than some people talk about the Guggenheim. I just feel that as somebody who did not have a traditional tra trajectory mm -hmm. to get to this point, mm -hmm. um, it feels very reassuring that yeah. um, this foundation finds my work and my vision impactful enough to support me. Thank you for joining our conversation. We so appreciate it when you follow, rate, and review our podcast. We love hearing your feedback. I would like to share a recent review we received entitled Essential Podcast. Top podcast for photographers, 
curators, and creatives. Love hearing about the motivation for the work and the process behind it. A super enjoyable listen. Thank you so much for that feedback. I too love hearing the motivation behind the work and to pull apart the pieces of the process. We so appreciate your being in this conversation with us and we look forward to our next time together.